0: Hello everyone, what's up guys? I hope y'all are having a great day. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. As always, I hope y'all are staying safe and staying healthy, staying inside if you can. We will all get through this crazy time together. I know it's hard to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel right now, but it is there and we will all get through together. So with that being said, as you can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the unsolved disappearance of three-year-old Jared Otadero. Before we jump into it, I do want to go back and look at some of the theories that y'all came up with for the Heather Teague case that we covered last week. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you can either pause this one and go back and listen to it now, or you can listen to this one and then go back and listen to that one later. As always, you can email your theories or questions or just comments to killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. And we usually will go over the theories of the previous case in the week following so that is what we are going to do today and as always all of your submissions are anonymous so we're going to start with this one that says hey savannah first i want to say that i love you and think you're brilliant well thank you (laughs) secondly my thoughts on today's case instantly when you started telling the story i had a gut feeling something was wrong about the timothy 911 caller all of his explanations seemed off in every way i personally question why anyone wouldn't call authorities as soon as you see something happen as time is always of the essence in cases like this especially when he knows the perpetrator has a gun and her life therefore was at risk. 25 minutes seems like an overly specific time to wait to call and report something and then know you're waiting that long. I also call into question this guy's character as he looks through his binoculars at people on the beach, which honestly sounds like the creepiest thing ever and kind of terrifies me. So that was the first submission and honestly I did see a reoccurring theme in my youtube channel video that I did on this case as well as a lot of the theories that you guys sent in and that was the fact that everyone, mostly everyone, was very uncomfortable with the fact that Timothy, you know, spends his time or said that he wanted to do a quick scan of the beach and look at people through binoculars while they're sunbathing or tanning out on the beach in bathing suits. A lot of people, including myself, found that very, very bizarre. And yes, like we discussed in the case last week, you know, to wait 25 minutes is one thing when you don't really know what's going on, but to have witnessed the things that he had witnessed with Heather being dragged away at gunpoint by her hair, it definitely does make you question why he waited that long because based off of the series of events that he said that he witnessed, he knew very well that her life was at risk. So thank you for sending in that submission. So the second one we are looking at is from someone who says quote I completely agree with you on where you say Timothy might be involved as you said what are the odds that he's looking into his telescope and saw that that happened what if and this might be a little far-fetched but what if he was involved and he saw Heather come out to the beach often and maybe hired someone or told someone to hurt her or to take her There's a high chance that it could have been Marvin and they made a plan and that's why he looked out at the perfect time but ended up getting worried because he realized that there were other people out there on the beach and they could have saw something or noticed it and would have reported it. So he just called up the police without whoever may have been involved in it and reported it himself and tried to stay on the investigation to make sure nothing was going to be put on him. In the phone call, he sounded really rushed, and I know anyone would be in that situation, but it seemed a bit sketchy to me. And he also seemed to know a lot of details, which kind of threw me off. And again, yes, you're going to need a lot of details to make a 911 call, but it seems a little weird to me. Another theory that came to mind was, what if Heather was hanging out with the wrong people? What if she got involved in drugs and messed with people she shouldn't have and those people needed to get? revenge also it's really messed up that they didn't let the mother in on any of the details or paperwork let alone the phone call the nine one one phone call in my opinion any biological parent or guardian should f- be filled in on the knowledge that the police have and not be pushed back and manipulated this whole case is very confusing and puts a lot of questions to mind and really makes you think of what's real and what's not end quote. So I completely agree with everything that she said, and I think it's a really good point, one that I didn't really think about, that maybe Timothy could have been in on it with someone else, and it could have been, you know, we talked about maybe Marvin and Chris were working together, but what if Timothy and someone else were working together in order to abduct or hurt Heather? And we did touch briefly on the fact in last week's episode that Heather was known to kind of hang around, not the best crowd and sometimes got herself caught up into situations that she shouldn't have been and we also mentioned that heather did have mutual acquaintances between marty and chris and just strictly based off of the information that we've talked about in that case it doesn't seem like those would be the type of people that you would want to have mutual acquaintances with and you would want to be affiliated with another theory we have is from someone who said quote i believe that timothy was involved in Heather." disappearance and the only reason he said anything in the first place was either to describe someone else as the main suspect or just get in on the police's good books. why would all of a sudden you look out at the beach through your telescope? he was just about to eat his food. also why would you wait? that just sent alarm bells through my mind. so i think it's a very safe bet to say that a lot of people have their suspicions about timothy and what timothy did was very you know, questionable. A lot of the things that he's done is very questionable throughout this entire case. Him waiting 25 minutes, him looking through the telescope just in general, being so involved in the investigation with the police and we've seen tons and tons of cases where the person responsible likes to be in on the investigation and it's just their sick and twisted way of feeling like they have the control again or playing a game. It's just, it's all very bizarre. So, I do agree that a lot of Timothy's behavior is very, questionable and suspicious and the last theory that we are going to look at is from someone who says quote hey savannah i'm a huge fan your podcast and youtube videos have kept me very entertained during self-isolation i have a theory for the heather teague case i find it very unusual that timothy looks at people on the beach with his telescope and he just so happened to look in the exactly right spot on the beach at the right time to see the abduction take place i also believe that it is weird that he could have gotten such a very clear view View of the abductor through the telescope i believe that timothy was watching heather on the beach that day and had taken an interest in her and abducted her himself he then traveled back to his house and called the police and that's why he took 20 minutes to call them he stayed very active in the investigation to keep police off of his trail end quote again, it's the same thing. Yeah, I do think that that's very possible and it's a very strong theory. There's a lot of, you know, suspicious behavior to kind of back that up. And then I will say, you know, and looking in the YouTube comments of this video, um, I noticed a lot of people saying the flip side of this, you know, as suspicious as Timothy is and as weird as all of this is, I don't think he had anything to do with it is what a lot of people are saying too. So you have two kind of very opposite sides of the spectrum here. So thank you so much for giving all of your theories and your thoughts on this case. I love hearing about them. You can do that with this case that we're about to jump into right now as well and we will discuss those theories next week. So with that being said, let's just jump right on into today's case. So like I said, today we are talking about the disappearance of three-year-old Jared Otadero. Jared went missing on October 2nd, 1999 in Poudre Canyon, Colorado. Jared was born on January 2nd, 1996 to his parents, Al. Alan Adedaro and Stacy McKissick. Jared has an older sister named Jocelyn who was about six years old at the time of his disappearance. And Jared's parents, Alan and Stacy, actually ended up getting a divorce before Jared was born. Jared was described as a very happy-go-lucky kid. Alan, Jared's father, said that Jared had a certain glow about him that everyone wanted to be around. Anyone who knew Jared would always ask about him and where he was, and when he wasn't there, people just wanted to be around him, and for a three-year-old, he was described as having a pretty good sense of humor. On October 1st, the night before Jared went missing, Jared was at home with his dad, Alan, watching his favorite movie, which was Godzilla, and Alan said that he was extremely exhausted after a long day of working, but Jared wouldn't let him go to sleep because Jared wanted his dad to stay up and watch Godzilla with them. Jared's father, Alan, actually owned a resort in Poudre Canyon, Colorado called the Poudre River Resort. Alan shared the resort with his twin brother, Arlen, and there was hiking and fishing, and it was a really great place to get immersed in the outdoors and in nature. And for the most part, the resort would be rented out to larger groups of people who wanted to do retreats and getaways and things like that. The resort had actually been purchased about a year and a half before Jared's disappearance, by Jared's father and his uncle. Alan actually lived on the site of the resort and how it worked is there was a convenience store on site that sold like food and snacks and things like that. And at this convenience store, there was actually an apartment in the back of it. And that is where Alan and his family lived. So that's where Jared stayed. It's where Jocelyn stayed. That's where they would all sleep. Alan was really excited when they bought this resort because he really loved the idea of him and his kids all being together and experiencing nature together alan was someone who was a very outdoorsy type of guy he loved nature and he wanted his kids to be able to experience that as well and he wanted to create memories with them as a family so purchasing this resort was a really really exciting time for him and his kids The morning of Saturday, October 2nd, 1999 started off as any regular morning. Alan, Jared, and Jocelyn woke up at about 6 30 a.m. and they got dressed for the day and on this particular weekend there was actually a Christian singles group called the Denver Christian Singles Association that was visiting the resort and this group was there to enjoy the resort but they were also there to do some repairs and upgrades on the resort as well and help Alan out with that. Now this is a group that had visited the resort quite often they'd been there a lot in the summer they would do weekend getaways and they were very familiar with the resort and because of that they became close to Alan and his brother as well so much so that they were willing to help him out with some upgrades that needed to be made on the resort. So it was kind of a trade-off. The group would come and stay at the resort for free and be able to enjoy it and indulge in all that it had to offer, but they also had to help work on the resort and help fix it up and kind of upgrade it as well. So there was a woman, a part of this group, and her name was Janet, and that morning on October 2nd, Jocelyn, which is Jared's sister, went and spent some time with Janet, and both Jocelyn and Jared really liked Janet, and Alan has said that Janet was one of the few people that he trusted with his kids. Like I said, Janet was a part of the group, so she had been visiting the resort a decent number of times. And at about 9 a.m. that morning on October 2nd, Jocelyn had actually asked Alan if it was okay if she went on a hike with Janet and the rest of the Christian singles group, which was about 11 adults. And at first, Alan was a little hesitant. He didn't know if it was the best idea for Jocelyn's safety, but also for the group as well. But Alan asked Janet if it was okay if Jocelyn tagged along and janet didn't hesitate and said of course it was okay and now jared being three years old and wanting to do everything his older sister did he also ran up to alan and asked if he could go on the hike with the group as well and alan was very hesitant on letting jared go on this hike he was only three years old and if you've ever been around a three-year-old if you've ever been around a toddler you know you have to have eyes on them at all times. So Alan was really hesitant, but after Jared kept begging his dad to let him go and after Janet told Alan that it would be okay if Jared came along with them and everyone in the group promised to keep an eye out for Jared, Alan ultimately agreed to let Jared go on this hike. The hiking trail that the group was originally planning to go on was only about a mile and a half down the road from the resort, so the 11 adults as well as Jared and Jocelyn hopped into this little van and drove over to the trail that was only a mile and a half down the road, and once they got there they realized that it wasn't as exciting of a trail as they were hoping for. So they decided that they were actually going to change their plans and went to a different trail instead. Now the second trail that they went to was called the Big South Trail and it was about 16 miles away from the resort and it was about a seven mile long trail and when I looked up how far of a drive it was from the trail to the resort to Allen's resort it is about a 22 minute drive. Now this is definitely not the most kid-friendly trail. If you look up pictures of it, it's very clear that there's a lot of hills, there's steep cliffs, there's wild animals, there's water. There's a lot of hazardous areas for a child to be in. And no one in the group actually informed Alan that they had switched from the original trail that they were planning on going to, that Alan was informed of, the one that was a mile and a half down the road. No one in the group told Alan that they were changing their plans and heading to the big south trail instead and a couple hours went by, but according to Alan, he just thought, you know, maybe they're just having a good time. No news is good news, and he would just see them all when they came back after they were done. Now, after a couple hours had passed since the group Jocelyn and Jared initially left, Alan was sitting in his apartment when two women from the group and the manager of Alan's resort barged into his apartment and told Alan that something had happened to Jared. Now, Alan at this point goes into full, on panic mode as any parent would do, but the two women kept on telling Alan, Jared is okay, we just can't find him. Now, this is a strange statement to make because how do you know if Jared is okay if you can't find him? But I definitely think they said that because they just wanted to keep Alan's panic levels at a minimum. Now, at this point, Alan still thinks that Jared and the group of the Christian singles went to the small trail a mile and a half down the road that was a small area, mainly flat and not as dangerous. And when he realized that the group's plans had changed and they actually Went to the Big South Trail instead. That is when the panic really set. so alan actually drove over to the resort and got onto the trail and just started running he started running through the trail calling out jared's name and alan at first thought that maybe jared was playing hide and go seek you know he's three years old maybe he just thinks that this is a game and alan thought by hearing his dad's voice he would realize that he needed to come out from wherever he was hiding but after running through the trail and calling out jared's name multiple times and still not getting a response alan realized something Something bad had happened and at this point the manager of the resort had actually called search-and-rescue and the police when Alan was driving over to the trail and while Alan was at the trail all of the authorities showed up and started their search so when authorities arrive, the situation is really starting to set in the reality of the situation is starting to set in for Alan and the next question that he had was what in the world happened how does he let his son go off with 11 adults who all promise that they are going to keep an eye out on Jared and then Jared just goes missing Alan's question was how did it get to this who was watching Jared or where was Jared when all of this happened so this is the story that we have to go off of so according to the 11 adults in the group when they arrived to the big south trail it was about 10 a.m on October 2nd and they split into two smaller groups when they arrived to the trail There was a group that walked a little bit slower and then there was the group that walked a little bit faster. Now, Jared and Jocelyn, being both young kids, were both in the slower group. But being a three-year-old, Jared had a lot of energy and he was super excited to be on this hike. So instead of staying back with his group, Jared actually ended up walking a little bit ahead of the slow group and moved into the fast group. But the problem was that even when he got into the fast group, he actually started walking ahead of the fast group as well so he was keeping his fast pace and that led him from the slow group to the fast group and then once he got to the fast group he just kept going and no one really seemed to stop him and here's where it gets a little bizarre so when jared was walking from the slow group to the fast group he actually wasn't walking alone jared was actually walking with two fishermen two fishermen who didn't belong to the christian singles group these were just two random men fishermen that Jared was walking with and what's so crazy about this is that no one from the singles group told Alan that Jared was with these fishermen. They never mentioned it. Alan and his family actually heard about this through their car radio one day. That's how they found out. Authorities also didn't mention it to Alan and the Christian singles group failed to mention it as well, which is extremely bizarre and odd. Odd that they would let him walk with these two strangers and odd that they never mentioned it to Alan as well. Now, authorities actually got in contact with these fishermen and when they talked to the two fishermen they told authorities that they had started out on the big south trail just a little bit after the slower group from the two groups that were made out of the Christian singles group started on their walk so they weren't too far behind them and when passing the slow group it was about the same time that Jared decided that he wanted to move from the slow group to the fast group now jared in general was a very very sweet and friendly kid and he loved to talk to everyone and he was really fascinated by these fishermen and he kept asking them all these questions and was really talkative with them and because he really liked them he kind of just continued walking with them past the fast group as well. Now about a mile and a half into the hike there was a fork in the road at a stop called Campsite now, when the fork in the road hit, the fishermen needed to go one way to get to the water to fish and Jared needed to go the other way with the group. Now these fishermen said that they could physically see the fast group and that they were about 50 to 80 feet away from where Jared was standing, so they thought it was okay to leave him and walk on their way in the opposite direction. Now is that the smartest thing to do? No, you shouldn't leave a three-year-old by themselves in the woods, but the fishermen said that they saw the rest of the group physically with their own eyes, so they they thought that it was okay because they thought the fast group was watching Jared as well. So when the search first started, authorities in the search and rescue team spent hours looking for Jared, walking through the entire trail, calling out his name, but there was absolutely no sign of Jared anywhere they didn't know if he was stuck somewhere they didn't know if he was sleeping he could have just been really tired after walking a mile and a half because like we said he's only three years old so he could have just gotten too exhausted to keep going and fallen off asleep somewhere and when they weren't able to find him on october 2nd they decided to stop their search that night and went back in search for jared early the next morning but still there was no sign of jared Anywhere. So the authorities actually set up a command center at Alan and his family's resort. But what was frustrating here is that authorities made it really, really difficult, and that's probably an understatement, and you will realize why as we keep going, they made it really difficult for Alan and his family to help in this investigation. Alan's family flew in from California to Colorado to try and help with the search for Jared, but authorities blocked off the entire trail, the entire Big South Trail, and wouldn't Let Alan or anyone else in Jared's family in to try to help. And they didn't just not let them in. Authorities actually threatened to arrest, yes, arrest Alan's family because they went up to the trail and asked police if they could go on the trail to help search. And then finally, authorities did reach a point where they allowed Alan and his family onto the trail. However, they had to have a police escort with them at all times and when being escorted by a police officer through the trail, the Otadero family was stopped by the officer escorting them who told them that they were causing a lot of problems for the authorities and that they couldn't do that anymore. Now, I understand having to conserve a crime scene and having to keep everything or wanting to keep everything in the exact same condition that it was in when the crime initially happened or when Jared's disappearance initially happened, but to go as far as to threaten to a Rest the family for wanting to help search for their loved one is absolutely mind-blowing. So there was a man who actually worked in the military as a trained tracker. He was trained to track bombs, so he was specially trained and incredibly skilled at this, and he was actually just in the area at the time of Jared's disappearance, and he took it upon himself to try and track Jared. After all, this is like his specialty. He tracks bombs, and this man was actually staying at at Allen's Resort because it was the closest place to the Big South Trail. It was just the most convenient spot for him to stay at while trying to do this. And one day while he was staying at the resort, he was getting food from the convenience store. And when he went up to check out and started talking to the cashier, he started talking about how tired he was and how exhausted he was because he's been working so hard on trying to track this three-year-old little boy. He told the cashier that he's a trained tracker and he does this for a living, and he's really been trying to put all of his efforts into trying and tracking jared now what this man didn't know at the time is that the cashier that he was talking to was actually alan and when the man found out that he was talking to jared's father he immediately told alan that he needed to talk to him and show him something so the two of them actually sat down together and this man this train tracker basically drew out a map for alan and on this map he drew out an x and this x marked where this tracker this train tracker thought jared was. Now, this man told Alan that he has tried to get to this spot, but authorities would not let him. He said he even asked the authorities to go there for him, but they still wouldn't do it. So, Alan actually reached out to the authorities himself and asked for the authorities to look at the place where this man, who's a trained tracker, who this is his specialty, has marked where his son is but authorities told allen that there was a helicopter that when the helicopter did a search they got a helicopter who searched overhead of the trail and when the helicopter went and did that they already flew over the area that this man thought jared was so technically they had already searched it and because this helicopter found nothing and the helicopter didn't see anything the authorities said that it was a waste of time and they felt no need to go back there and look again that to me is just so incredibly naive and so lazy it's just blatantly lazy to say oh the helicopter who flew over didn't see anything and who knows you know it could have been something that the helicopter missed because they didn't see it up as close as they needed to i think to tell alan that first of all he's not allowed on the trail without a police escort but even with the police escort they can't go back to that spot because the helicopter already flew over it and jared wasn't there so it's a waste of time i just that's oh, it's so frustrating so there was a journal Journalist who had actually gotten in contact with the sheriff of the department that was working on Jared's case? And this journalist was set to interview the sheriff. And during the same time that he was set to interview the sheriff of the department, the sheriff was also filming something with the Learning Channel. And when the sheriff and the journalist sat down to do the interview, for whatever reason, at the end of the interview, the sheriff thought that the cameras and the mics were off. So, this interview that the journalist did with the sheriff was obviously about Jared's case and he tried to get as much information out of the sheriff as possible and I guess because the sheriff thought that the mics were off and that the cameras weren't filming after the interview he said quote are you as tired of hearing about this story as I am end quote and this was in reference to Jared's case and this clip of the sheriff saying this horrific statement got leaked into the public and once it did and once people heard it everyone was absolutely furious. The community was furious, the people from the sheriff's department were actually threatening to quit because they were so embarrassed that they were working under someone who seemed so cold-hearted and most importantly Jared's family just felt so lost and heartbroken and hopeless because this was the person who was supposed to be leading the investigation and the person who was supposed to be at the forefront of finding Jared. And here he is only three weeks into Jared's disappearance, mind you. We're not talking, I mean, it wouldn't be okay regardless of the amount of time, but we're not talking that this has been going on for years and years and years. We're talking three weeks and this sheriff says that he's tired of hearing about it. So as if that wasn't frustrating enough, there were actually multiple organizations as as well as the National Guard and all of these other groups of people and different organizations who were reaching out to Allen personally, telling Allen that they were willing to come to Colorado to the Big South Trail to help him search for Jared. But when it comes to situations like this, where organizations are offering their service to come and help, it has to be approved by the sheriff. And when Allen was put in contact with these people and in these groups that were wanting to help, he went to the sheriff and basically asked for permission if the national guard and these organizations could come and help search for jared but the sheriff actually did not approve of this and told alan that this was not going to happen and the sheriff basically blamed it on the fact that the department couldn't afford to bring all of these organizations in and that it was too much money that they didn't have So after being told this alan went back to all of these organizations and told them that they wouldn't be able to afford bringing them in and couldn't pay them and when he was on the phone with the national guard the national guard was pretty confused by this because they told alan that when it comes to a situation like this and when there's a missing child and when there's a situation to this caliber the national guard doesn't ask for money there's no budget they don't demand any money from anyone they're sending volunteers in and they're not getting paid for it and the national guard informed alan that the sheriff is very well aware of this fact so obviously alan doesn't even know what to think anymore so he goes back to the sheriff and he basically tells the sheriff what the national guard told him the sheriff still said no because even though there wasn't any money that was involved in this even though the national guard didn't want to be paid they weren't going to get paid in general the sheriff still needed to approve this they technically needed to be invited by the sheriff in order to come down and do the their search and the sheriff said absolutely not which it just makes you think if it's not about the money if it's not about the fact that you can't afford it because the national guard has said itself it's a volunteering thing it's not like they're asking for money why won't you let them come help and to just show you how I don't want to, say, maybe it's laziness, but I also don't think that anyone could be this stupid if I'm being blatantly honest. I just don't think it's possible without having an ulterior motive. So right after Jared went missing, authorities were sent to the resort that Jared lived at to get items that belonged to Jared. That way they could use his scent and send dogs out to try to track his scent and they ended up picking up a pair of shorts that they had been using throughout the entire investigation to carry Jared. Sent, but authorities actually hadn't been using Jared's shorts to help them they had been using Allen's a grown adult man's shorts that they had mistaken they said that they had mistaken for a three-year-old pair of shorts all of this time and the only reason that this came to light is because they pulled out the shorts in front of Alan, and Alan was in absolute disbelief and shock that they actually thought that his shorts his adult grown man shorts were a three-year-old pair of shorts it just that is like did no one no one notice that like no one picked that one up. Again, this was just another thing that left Alan feeling so helpless in this situation because the people who are supposed to be driving this entire investigation are making mistakes like that. And it just left him feeling very helpless, very frustrated and made him lose hope. Okay, we're gonna take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you apartments.com the place to find a place all right you guys welcome back so there was a search and rescue team that was local to the area that told authorities that they wanted to volunteer their time and effort not they didn't ask for money they wanted to volunteer their time and effort to help search for Jared and they were actually experts in the Big South Trail they knew the ins and outs of it they knew exactly where everything was they were complete experts when it came to the Big South Trail and for whatever reason authorities actually said okay and said that they could come and search but the night before they were supposed to come and do their search on the trail, the sheriff called the search and rescue group and told them that they could not come and search in the morning, and if they did, everyone in their group would be arrested. Now, this team of search and rescue experts did not take no for an answer, and instead of not showing up, they actually all showed up the next day to the trail to search for Jared, but instead of wearing their uniform that they would wear to differentiate themselves from looking like the average civilian, they ended up wearing just their normal clothes, which is how they were able to get onto the trail and start searching. Now, I'm not exactly sure where the switch happened from the entire trail, being closed off so now people who were looking like random regular civilians were allowed in but for whatever reason there really was no fuss about it and they were allowed to walk in and search with Alan because they looked like average people and authorities didn't know that they were the entire search and rescue team. And there was actually a U.S. congressman who was a part of this group that was looking for Jared, and he showed up to one of these searches looking like the average person dressed in normal clothes and didn't look like anyone suspicious. And while he was there during his search, Alan was also there, and this congressman went up to Alan and basically told Alan that he had been receiving threatening phone calls to his work office telling him that if he knew what was good for him, he he wouldn't go and help search for jared now this obviously threw alan completely off he had no idea why this congressman would be receiving threatening phone calls to his work office telling him to stay back from the search it was never clear who made those phone calls to the congressman or what their motive was, but the fact that that happened in general or at all is mind-blowing. So at this point, authorities had come up with multiple theories that they had told Alan as to what they think could have possibly happened to Jared. Authorities told Alan that it's possible that a mountain lion attacked Jared, and then they also told him that it was possible that Jared fell into a body of water. And going on with this body of water theory and Jared falling in and drowning, authorities told Alan that it's a big possibility that Jared tripped and fell into the water because there were several creeks throughout the trail that led to a couple bigger bodies of water, and if he did fall, because of the temperature and how cold it is, Jared's body probably wouldn't resurface for four years. Now, coincidentally enough, four years later, on June fourth, two 2003, there were actually a couple of hikers who had hiked on the Big South Trail 500 vertical feet so basically 500 feet straight up from the ground on the big south trail and where they started to climb their 500 feet was about a half a mile from where jared was last seen so they were hiking up this 500 feet on this huge cliff is what they were hiking up and when they got to the top of the cliff they ended up finding several pieces of clothing and it was clear when they were up there that the clothing belonged to a child because it was smaller articles of clothing and the hikers assumed that something very Wrong was going on here. There was something very off about the whole situation. So they decided to call authorities. And when authorities arrived to the scene where the hikers were, they were able to positively identify the clothes that were found on top of this cliff were the same clothes that Jared was wearing the day that he went missing. The clothing that was found was a pair of blue and red jogger pants. They were kind of like a sweatpant material, as well as a sweatshirt and a pair of sneakers. Now, here's the crazy crazy part about this clothing. So these clothes did not look like they had been sitting out for four years. They did not look like they had been in snow and rain and sunshine at all and all of the other weather conditions that they would have been going through had they been there for four years. Another big question here is how in the world did Jared's clothes get to the top of this 500 foot cliff? There is absolutely no way that Jared could have walked up this cliff by himself or climbed it when a Authorities took Alan to the exact spot that his clothes were found. Alan even had to have a couple people help him get him to the top of the cliff with different equipment. And Alan and his family tried to go up there on a different occasion and they ended up having to turn around and walk back down because it was just too difficult. There was absolutely no way that Jared just ended up wandering up this 500-something-foot vertical cliff without any assistance. Now, the condition of Jared's clothes and the way that they were found kind of discredited the theory that jared was attacked by a mountain lion because first off jared's pants were found inside out along with that there was absolutely no blood found on jared's clothes not one drop of blood was found. Now when it came to Jared's pants like we said they were found inside out and they were ripped up a little bit. There was actually one pant leg from the pair of pants that was missing but authorities when they went in and really examined the pants they were able to see that the lining from where the pant leg was where it used to be was almost perfectly unraveled which led authorities to believe that animals had used it for their nest more than anything. That's what they you know thought was the case because again no blood was found on them. And on top of the cliff where the pieces of clothing were found, there were pieces of blue string everywhere that were the same material as Jared's pair of pants. So it was basically said that rodents and birds had unraveled the pair of pants and used the material for their nests. Now when it came to the shoes, when it came to Jared's shoes, there were absolutely no sign of any wear and tear that they had gone through. Which if you think about it, if Jared had been climbing If he had, you know, ran or been dragged through anything, there would be obvious wear and tear on these shoes, but there was none. Alan actually said that the shoes looked exactly the same as the last day he saw Jared wearing them. The shoelaces were still perfectly white and the shoe was so clean, you would literally think that they were newly bought. And like I said, they just didn't look like they had gone through weather conditions that Colorado has over a course of four years years and authorities actually dna tested every single item of clothing that they found and it was forensically proven that there was no blood found anywhere not a single drop of blood which again kind of discredits the theory that a mountain lion got Jared because if that was the case blood would have been found and there was actually a civilian who came forward and asked authorities why there had been no other remains of Jared found up there meaning if all of Jared's clothes were up there why did they not find any bones or a tooth and a week later a week later after this civilian approached authorities with this question, there was a piece of a cranium as well as a tooth in the exact same spot where the clothes were found, where Jared's clothes were found. It's just weird. Like this whole thing is so weird. The fact that someone approached authorities and was like, well, you found his clothes. Why weren't there any remains on top of this cliff that you found his clothes on? And then a week later, they found a piece of a cranium and his tooth. And in terms of the tooth, the tooth was actually found sitting on top of a bunch of branches and leaves and it literally looked like it was perfectly placed there. Now the cranium on the other hand was slightly buried under some debris when it was found and the cranium actually had some scratch marks on it. It had some scrapes and scratches on it and at first Alan didn't really know why there were scratches on it and of course he wanted to know and there was actually a woman who reached out to Alan via email and email was the only way that the two of them talked. It was never on the phone, never in person, never anything like that and this woman told Alan that she was an expert. This was what she did for a living. She was an expert in artifacts and bones. And Alan said that at first this woman seemed like she really wanted to actually help Alan and figure out what had happened. So she told Alan that skulls get scratched like that, like the one found on top of the cliff when it hits rocks as it goes down the river. So basically she was saying that happens when a skull gets dragged at the bottom of a riverbed and it hits rocks and different things like that. That's what causes it. And she also told Alan that the reason that these remains were found at the top of a 500-foot vertical cliff was because there was a flood that caused the water to rise up so high and the remains just happened to land on this cliff. Now Alan knew there was absolutely no way that there was a flood that rose 500 feet. Absolutely no way. First of all, he would know about it. He would remember it. Second of all, that would be one of the biggest natural disasters ever. That is absolutely crazy talk. And when Alan went back and told this woman that there was no way that that could have been the case, Alan said that she was very wishy-washy with her information after that and she told Alan that she was going to need a map of where everything was found and Alan actually gave her that and after Alan gave her this map, this woman actually stopped responding and deleted the email thread between the two of them and luckily Alan kind of felt like something suspicious was going on so he ended up copying and pasting all of the emails into a document so he had it for his records before the woman ended up deleting it and do you guys remember where the trained tracker mapped out the x as to where he thought jared would be the trained tracker who told authorities to go check out this spot and they refused to jared's clothes as well as the remains that were found were all within 35 feet 35 feet of where the trained tracker said that they would be. So now it was time to do DNA testing on the piece of the cranium as well as the tooth in order to officially confirm that they belong to Jared. So when the authorities sent off these two pieces of remains, DNA testing for both remains came back to have an 86% chance of belonging to Jared. Now because of how much at this point Alan just did not trust the police department that was working on this, he actually wanted to take matters into his own hands, which I think is incredibly smart. And he ended up sending both of the remains to a doctor in Ohio. So both the cranium and the tooth were sent to a doctor in Ohio. And when the doctor in Ohio did his examination, he actually told Alan that the results came back inconclusive for the tooth. But there was a reason for this. He said that the reason that this has happened is because there were two sets of DNA on the tooth, which basically meant uh, one Of a couple things. The first thing it could have meant is that either someone had placed the tooth in the spot that it was found, and in doing that, they had contaminated it by putting their own DNA on it, or it could have meant that when authorities were removing the tooth as evidence, they didn't use the proper precautions and the proper protocol that they needed to, and they could have contaminated it that way. And because of all of this, Alan wanted to test the tooth again just to see if it came back as a different result or see if they can find anything else out. But because Because of the contamination and because of the original testing that was done by the dna lab that the sheriff had sent it off to they couldn't test the tooth again then two years later the cranium did come back as a positive dna match to jared so there were three dna tests that alan had actually done on the cranium and the final one was able to confirm that the remains that were found of the cranium on the top of the cliff belonged to jared now, when it came to Jared's sweatshirt, there were actually multiple unknown hairs in the collar of the sweatshirt that had been found. And when the sweatshirt was sent off for forensic examination, well, when all of his clothes were sent off for forensic examination, Alan was told by the sheriff that the hairs that were found in the sweatshirt were also going to be examined. Now, when it came to every other possible test that was ran, Alan was able to see it. Alan was able to see the results of every single test. But the one forensic test, That Alan was not able to see was the test result about the hairs that were found in the collar of his sweatshirt. That was the one test that Jared was not allowed to see the results of. And the only thing that he was told about it was from the sheriff, who told him that it wasn't a mountain lion and that the hairs were also non- human and that was it he wasn't told anything else about it and just to point out if the results did come back inconclusive the sheriff wouldn't know that the hairs were non-human and he also wouldn't know that they didn't belong to a mountain lion but the sheriff didn't tell alan anything else which obviously he knew if he knows it's not a mountain lion and if he knows it's non-human he obviously knows more than he is telling alan so now with all of this being said let's talk about some of the possible theories here so the first theory that we have that is a huge one In this case, is that a mountain lion is what attacked Jared and ended his life. Now, I know we just said that the hairs on the sweatshirt didn't belong to a mountain lion, but regardless, this is still a very huge theory that belongs in this case, and a lot of people believe it. A lot of people believe that Jared could have been attacked by a mountain lion and dragged up to the top of the cliff where his clothes were found. Again, I think that the big deterrent of this story is the fact that there was never any blood ever found. There was was never any sign of an attack. And if a mountain lion did attack Jared and drag him off somewhere, there would have been a trail of blood. There would have been a drop of blood. There would have been some sign that there had been some sort of an attack, but there wasn't. And I'm not just talking about four years later when his clothes were found. I'm talking about when the search initially started. There would have been some sign somewhere of an attack, and there wasn't one. I also want to point out that the helicopter that was sent to look for Jared from above flew over the spot where Jared's clothes were ultimately found found four years later, but when the helicopter initially went over them, the authorities said that the helicopter didn't find anything, which is why it would have been a waste of time to go back and look again, even though that is where the tracker tracked Jared to be. The second theory in this case is that Jared was abducted by someone who was also on the trail that day on October 2nd, 1999. There was a ranger, a ranger who was doing a tour of the trails the same day that Jared went missing, and this ranger actually claims that he believes that he saw Jared, during the time frame that he went missing. He claims that he saw Jared walking with an older man and Jared kept on trying to walk away from the man that he was walking with, but every time he would do that, the man would grab Jared and bring him back closer to him again. Now, we don't know if this is Jared, but the ranger did think it was a little strange, but he also thought that this was just a little boy, a three-year-old, having an upset moment in a little bit of a tantrum, so he just let it go and he didn't think that there was anything to worry about. Then it wasn't until he saw Jared's face on the news later that night, he realized that it probably was Jared that he saw on the trail that day. Weirdly enough though, the authorities to this day have never questioned this ranger about what he saw on the trail and never followed up with him and never asked him any questions and never followed up with him about any of the information that he had. Now, could it have been that the ranger actually did see Jared and did see him walk off with someone? Yes, absolutely. But is it also possible that they just saw another boy that looked similar to Jared yes but the thing is we don't know either way because the authorities never followed up with this ranger about it which is mind-blowing to me I just don't understand that so the third theory in this case is that the sheriff's department is in one way or another behind Jared's disappearance now whether that is that they are covering up for someone that they know was responsible for it or whether they had a friend or a family member know someone or someone who worked at the police department was directly responsible because the fact that the matter is is that this department was so reckless in their search and almost so angry throughout the entire investigation and they were threatening family members and threatening people who tried to help and offer their search efforts for free volunteering from the national guard and other organizations that just wanted to help look for jared to telling the congressman or for someone to tell the congressman if he knows what's good for him he won't show up to the search and to deny search efforts from the people who are trained in that trail the most it just makes you wonder why like why Why are they so against having people look for Jared? All of their behavior has definitely been suspicious and has definitely made it seem like this could possibly be a cover-up. The fact that the authorities told Alan that if Jared fell into the water that nothing would probably be found of him until four years later to then four years later, Jared's clothes being found on the top of this 500-foot cliff, that there is no way that he could get on top of himself and his clothes looked in almost perfect condition, I do want to point out that Jared's t-shirt the t-shirt that he was wearing the day of his disappearance has never been found but they did find his sweatshirt and his pants and his shoes but the t-shirt was just never found to this day it makes you wonder if jared's clothes were planted there and placed there and the fact that they found the clothes and then didn't find the remains when they found the clothes and then a week later after someone pointed out why weren't there remains up there then a week after that The remains are there. Like, it's just, it's so bizarre and it just feels too coincidental to actually be coincidental. And I just want to know what you guys think about this case because it's such a huge question mark to me. I think there's so much strange behavior throughout the entirety of this case when it comes to the evidence and when it comes to contamination and when it comes to the basics of just trying to search for Jared. There is so much shady business going on that I just really don't know what to believe. I personally don't think that I believe the mountain lion theory. I think that it is too far-fetched because I feel like there would have been some sign of an attack. You had so many people searching that trail that day. Why did no one see any sign of a mountain lion attack? It's a big trail and there is a lot of wildlife on that trail but no one ever reported seeing a mountain lion within the days following or that same day. It was never reported. I think that there was foul play involved in this case in one way or another and I think that it's just bizarre how the authorities have handled this whole situation but I'm very curious to know what you guys think. So let me know by either DMing me or you can email me at killerinstinctpodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com and we will go over your theories next week. Let me know what you think and with that being said you guys that is all for me today thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of killer instinct if you are new here hi my name is savannah i am your host of killer instinct we post new episodes every wednesday here and you are not going to want to miss it so make sure you are subscribed wherever you are listening and that is it for me today you guys i will see you next week with a brand new case and until then stay inside wash your hands stay safe and i'll see you in a bit